0: Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strivel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. A group of men, of God calling a group of men, to to speak his word in their generation and uh, most of the time to my knowledge they flunk the course uh, in living in unity and that's been a great tragedy and we we wonder sometimes well what's the matter with the assemblies where has their trust in us gone and uh, I only marvel if they have any trust in us instead of marveling at why it's so small that's that's the truth if I ever said it uh, I don't hardly see how a child of God makes it in my day, without blowing ever stale in their mind, uh, living under the influence they have to live under. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm going to read now what I have down here and uh, and and just make statements about it. If it's not interesting to you, I'll be like Brother Flanagan when I go to his house for study. We'll approach this in any way that you like. So if I get off in some channel that you're about to go to sleep under and you don't think that's your problem and you don't need to consider it, well, then you need to stop me and we'll head in some other channel uh, if you have any problem. If you don't have any problem, then you're not a God-called preacher. You mark that down in your notebook. Here's my first statement now that I wrote down. I realize that talk is the cheapest commodity on earth. Yet we must communicate hoping for good results. So I just hope for good results today as I communicate uh, with you. I've made my survey and am persuaded that it will be impossible for me to tell you anything that you do not already know. Now, that being so, it'll be awfully hard for me to communicate with you. That's why it's so difficult for a minister to diff- to communicate with the people that's sitting before him, because they are loaded with so much knowledge. So it'll be hard for me to communicate with you uh, uh, based on that fact, because there won't be anything developed today that you don't already know. But I believe I'll throw this in... Again, it's not what we know that keeps us from error. It's whether we can live by what we know. I've known some ministers that knew it was wrong to get drunk, but they got drunk. I've known some ministers that knew it was wrong to run around with other women, but they run around with other women. I've I've known ministers to, to know it was wrong to try to be the kingpin from coast to coast, but they tried to be the kingpin. So I'm telling you today, and I ask you to believe this, that what you know will hinder you while I stand up here, if you're not really sincere about your ministry, and have a great love for the flock that you try to superintend, all you'll do is sit there and say, well, I already knew that. That's what the congregation does, and they leave, and uh, and they, 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 they just going about their business waiting for another sermon. That's the truth whether you accept it or not. I believe I know that much. Okay? This next statement, uh, revealed the fact of how that I believe about religion. However, I view the religious world as unto a great ship, loaded to capacity with knowledge, headed on an aimless voyage to an unknown port, sooner or later to be destroyed by the restless sea of confusion, because religion would not use its knowledge. Hosea 4-6. This verse says that my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, uh, that verse is saying that that my people has heard an awful lot and made a claim of how much they know, but they didn't find a way to put that knowledge into action, so therefore it was equal, and having not known, therefore they were destroyed. Hosea 4, six. The note on that statement is this. I sometimes wonder if us preachers are not guiding the ship into the storm. What storm is that? The storm of confusion. That word will be used more today than any other word in my talk, the word confusion. I also see religion as a mighty giant entangled in the vine of humanism striving to release itself by its own wisdom, losing its strength little by little through its own efforts. Now that child of God is out there in all of this, that I read to you, and every preacher is saying, I've got it, and you should come to where I'm at. So we know there's a lot of people lying. So that's the that's the confused situation that a child of God is trying to make it in in this land. And God has sent you to untangle that and direct them into the truth. And he's made you the caretaker of their souls. And their spiritual life is at stake. Now I asked you and I asked myself, how seriously have you taken that? As I've known it uh, up till until recent years, that all that an ordination of a preacher meant was that he's a man that can say something when he stands up, and he can offer a prayer, and we need somebody to talk to him, to us, so we're going to ordain him. No requirements is put upon him. The assembly knew nothing about his endeavors and studied, and study that made no difference. So he's ordained, he's standing before the people, total ignorance of God's Word and God's ways, to stare or to direct this church or this assembly into the storm of confusion. That's the way I was ordained. Tragedy upon tragedy. Well, you say you made it. Yeah, I made it. That's not what we talk about, whether I made it or not, the way that I made it, and how much profit I could be if I had been prepared for the great task that lay before me. This lesson has to do with our problems. If understood, will help us avoid the storm of confusion and bless us to live in the harbor of unity. which we claim we desire. Now I ask you this question, have you ever known a minister in your life but what said that he wanted unity? I never met a one that what said, they all said that they wanted unity. But there was no unity, basically speaking, so I knew someone was lying. Would well, that not be the conclusion that you reached? Suppose, suppose you fellow sitting out there, and, and this fellow up here, And we run all over the country saying that I want unity. But there is no unity, then someone is lying, is it not? Because as long as all ministers want unity, it will be unity. And as long as all ministers are in unity, then the house of God is compelled to be in reasonable unity. And if the assemblies are not in unity, I believe the basic problem lies in the leaders. It takes work to stay in the harbor of unity. No lazy preacher can't make it and be in the harbor of unity. I want to drive that point home. Now, you, now don't, don't sit there and say, well, I know that. See, that'll hinder any any growth or any good outcome of our communication. I knew that too. I knew this statement here before I wrote it down. I knew this statement here before I read the Bible through again. I knew that statement was true. So. But for me to know that statement is so, and I don't know how to direct the assembly into this harbor of unity. Or I do not know how to keep unity with other ministers. The statement does me no good. So I'm saying that's the breakdown. We're all drowning ourselves on the restless tide of of, of, of of this confusion, but the thing is bringing the confusion is not because we don't know, it's because that we won't use that which we know. Ephesians 4:3 says that it takes work to keep ourselves in the harbor of unity. That verse says, endeavoring. To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Regardless of what all of that verse is saying, I know the word endeavor conveys the idea that you will work if you have it. Now what else you want to make out of that? It said, work to keep the peace. Just leave that right there. That's, That's enough. Set out of that verse. It takes work to stay in the harbor of unity. We have the chart to direct our course away from the storm of confusion. Shall we use it? The chart is 1 Corinthians 1.10, sound as it can be. And it has such promises and such encouragement. Now, if we don't, if we're not, or if, if, if we consider today that we are in the port of unity, but before that we die, uh, these things that has carried us away from this port, and we end up in confusion, there's just one thing that could cause that, and that is that all of us, or some of us, have refused to use the chart that God designed for us to live by. First Corinthians 1.10, now, Brother, Brother guest read me that the last time I was here. So do I want to read these verses it's to impress upon us, just to illustrate or bring fresh to our minds the reality of what we're talking about today. Now, let's listen to that verse, just what it's saying, as a guide. And the promise that's there. Now, I beseech you, brethren, By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now I believe there's such a thing as preachers living this life. Uh, If it's not so, then I just as well to discard all the rest of God's holy word. There's a way for us and for our assemblies to be perfectly joined together in the way we think and the judgments that we meditate upon. I have found no reason to believe that God would call or send a man to direct his people into the poor of unity that was lazy, and pleased to be ignorant in the word and the way of God. I have found many reasons to believe that it would take a man of great spiritual maturity One having been put to the test and found faithful to be in charge of the dreadful task of bringing and keeping God's people in the harbor of unity. Now what I mean by put in charge, I mean ordained. Uh, as far as I'm concerned now, I'm just telling you now what I think there there's no biblical truth or no biblical ground for ordaining anyone hurriedly. Now somewhere we've got to stop that and that's all I can say about that right now. Somewhere we have to stop that. Can you imagine just the ground we've covered so far of a tragedy? of ordaining some man that we don't even know whether he's got a Bible or not. And if he has, we don't know whether he's read it through or not. We don't really know his position. All we've ever heard him talk about is how God saved his people and thrust him out there to deal with men's souls. I ask you if you can see the tragedy of that. Well, if you can see the tragedy of that, then you can have Compassion upon those children of God that has to live under such ignorance and such leadership. When we can see that, then we won't have to wonder why is there weak children of God out there? And why is people in this church we don't know whether they're born again or not? And much of that is based upon the fact of hurried ordinations. Men that knew nothing of the awesome task of leading the house of God. Before I I want to go back up here and where I said uh, uh about the chart that we're just to go by, it says that ye all speak the same thing. I believe it's possible for ministers to almost speak the same thing about every truth in this Bible. And the reason that we don't do it is because we love to confuse the minds of people, whether we want to confess it or not. We don't think we do, and we don't know that we're doing it, but we're willing to change. Most ministers as I grew up, that sat around in conversation, was not communicating with one another to reach conclusions. It was to let each one know how much the other one knew to never reach any solid grounds about what they are talking about. And any child of God that sat in their conversation always left more confused as what the answer was and before the conversation ever began. Most of the conversations I ever sat in as I grew up and in my early ministerial life, it was that kind, only with a few exceptions. Ministers love to tell what they know. We're human. We love to tell that. And we're so full of knowledge that when one preacher mentions a subject, that the other one gently takes it away from him before he gets all of his text quoted. And tell him what the answer is. That's a tragedy. But we're guilty of that. Man, we're guilty of that. So I got where I just don't generally mission very much. We've got to let other people that we know that. But while we're doing that, we're directing the ship into the great storm of confusion. That's not heading for the harbor of unity. The bishop, elder, pastor, with a responsibility to take action among the people as found in the word, to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down To build and to plant is no common task. Jeremiah one ten. Now you say that in the Old Testament, I say amen. But I also say that there's no statement in the New Testament that lessens that responsibility. I want to read that to you again. I know you know that. I know you preach from it. But I want to ask myself how much of that do I feel in my personal life? Can you think about destroying a man? Putting him out? tearing him down? Can you think about a man that don't know what he's doing in that kind of a position? I ask you that today in all sincerity. That's talking about dealing with human beings. That ain't building a building. That's talking about flesh and blood that you to deal with. Sometimes we sit around and laugh because somebody has turned out, somebody has run off or so-and-so is probably going to hell. I'm going to read that again. That's awfully important. If you've been called of God as his spokesman, and if I have, we must deal with the souls and lives of human beings. And if we would not been called to preach, we probably hadn't been born again, therefore going to hell. Listen to that. The bishop, elder, pastor, with a responsibility to take action among the people as found in these words, to root out. I'm going to use people out of everyone to root out people, to pull down people, to destroy people, and to throw down people, to build people, and to plant is no common task. Now, any minister that has ever become or got in a hurry to be ordained is a man that had no concept of what he's all about. If I didn't know any more than what I've read, I'd know why Isaiah dreaded the task. And what Moses said, get somebody else. And how that old Jeremiah must have shuddered in issues at the awesome responsibility that lives. We said, boy, I want to be ordained. It just looks like it's so easy. It is easy. We've made it easy, but why are we making it easy? We have stared the ship into the storm of confusion. I'll say this now because I don't guess I'll get through with my lesson. Never in the United States has there been so much confusion. I know that's a true statement. That includes the assembly of God. No wonder then that God set such a high standard for the men of his choosing as found in Timothy and Titus, lest we be completely led away by false standards, and the port of unity be lost in the storm of confusion forever. We have our ordination services, and we set somebody aside to deliver the charge, and he delivers this pretty flowery discourse out of these verses. And people pay no more attention than taking a drink of water. And then we say, boy, elder so-and-so so can really deliver a pretty charge, can't he? I've heard that great statement. We didn't think anyone would going to pay attention to it, and didn't. It's a lot of work, just like it'll be today. We're not going to pay any attention. Just like after I deliver this, I'm not going to pay any attention. All I've done is sin against God. Well, you say, Brother Wallace, I know a lot of faults that you've got. Yeah, I know more than you do, and my wife knows a lot more than you do. But I got a few that only God knows about. I'm loaded with faults. And I don't know the outcome of my life either. But there's one thing that I'm hoping for that in my casket that it cannot be legally proved that I sold the assembly of God down the drain or drowned my personal life in sin. I hope that that cannot be laid to my charge as I lay in my casket. But I don't know if I'll make it or not. Brethren, we must give solemn thought concerning the seriousness of being a real spokesman for God. Do you believe God's speaking through you If you are God's spokesman, and if I am God's spokesman, then God's honor, God's word, Christian integrity and men's souls are at stake. Ain't no question about that if I'm a if if I'm God's spokesman. Have you lied lately? Have I? Let's don't any of us answer that out loud. Have you told anybody lately that you're going to do something that you didn't, hadn't done and it's way behind schedule and maybe you'll never do it? If you said you would and you didn't, you know what that is? We all know how to spell that, don't we? That's lying. You know what that does over a siege of, 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 of years and months? And days of that really drags down what we call Christian integrity. And as we drag Christian integrity down, you know what else that does? That causes that little child of God to lose respect and confidence in the ministry. Confidence in the ministry, as far as I'm concerned, is in an all-time low in the United States. Sudden ordinations must cease. Wild pastor callings must vanish away. We must get down to business of regaining and maintaining what we've lost and be determined that the port of unity away from the storm of confusion, is worth working for. Now, most people think worth working for is going to church when you feel like it and the preacher having his say. That's about all the preachers in that, a lot of times. That ain't what I'm talking about. Let us now examine the preacher's basic problems in guiding the assembly of God over the restless sea of confusion into the port of unity. where lasting peace prevails and spiritual maturity is accomplished. The illustration we shall study is not for the consideration of who is and who is not a child of God. Or who is or who is not a God called preacher. Where the true exists, the false is found. This indeed presents a problem for the man of God, who himself is burdened with an old nature that strives each day to have its way. Is your nature that way? My nature is that way. And the minister that forgets to say no to that nature stares the ship a little bit deeper in the storm of confusion. Brethren, I'm not down on ministers. I'm one of them. But I would to God that we could feel in our soul that it's the most important profession in all the world. Not just say with our mouth, but believe that in our soul. And there is so much resting upon how we act and what we do, what we say. So much resting upon that. These illustrations are for the purpose of showing us our problems. And the horror thereof that we might unshackle ourselves from their sad consequences, thereby gaining our desired purpose of giving glory to God in the assemblies and for the prosperity we experience in the house of God. As I read through the Bible for this purpose, uh, these things that we going to uh you see, can I talk another hour if I want to? Ten, ten o'clock now. Well, I don't need that much time, but I, uh. Yeah, just now, as I go along here, don't don't let the devil tell you that I knew that and it's a waste of my time. And I want to tell you this experience. Read what I said the other about I wasn't down on ministers. Is, is you know, and people always say, "Well, brother Wallace, you sure set a high standard for preachers." I don't. God does. I just read what He says. One day, I was, uh, this is before I was uh, ever ordained, but I'll I, I remember this the longest day I can think. I was riding along with a minister a good long way from home, and I had confidence in, him. and he pulled up to a place where they sold gas. And he said, I'm going to get me a beer. Do you want one? I'd like to shock me out of my shoes. I never had any more good respect for that preacher. He could could keep preaching good to people, thought. I'm saying that, that the man that is unwilling to fight that evil nature day and night although he may be called of God, is headed for tragedy. That's just a minor thing that I've experienced along the way. I've known some good ministers that I have put confidence in, but many of them I don't have a feeling that I should. I'll put it that way. The preacher has three basic problems in my understanding. Here they are. Here is the preacher's three basic problems. The reason I use basic is because all other problems flow from these. His number one problem is the devil. You say, I knew that. Well, I did too, for I read the Bible through the the other day, but that's not enough to know that. I will confess that after I say that, I am not aware of all the thousands of ways that he has of scheming to defeat my ministry. And many times when I forget this, I run around saying, well, I wonder what the problem is. See, I forget to say, well, it's the devil, the number one. His number two problem is his own self. That's his number two problem. And the number three problem is the people he strives to lead. What I'm concerned, that's the, that's the preacher's three basic problems. Now, we're going to consider problem number one, the devil. The devil is the sponsor of every problem, directly or indirectly. I believe that without wavering. That he sponsors every problem directly or indirectly. I don't care what that is. Who he worked through to do it. The devil's workshop is confusion. I'll say that again. The devil's workshop is confusion. There's confusion in the home. There's confusion in the assemblies. There is confusion in the schools. There is confusion in our nation. There is confusion in the world. Where there is a yes, there's always a no. That's confusion. One preacher says yes. Another preacher says no. One lives right. One lives wrong. all is right, no one is wrong when we as individuals speak about ourselves. There There are several hundred cults, several hundred denominations all claiming to be right. And that child of God is out there to make it through that storm of confusion. And we say, I wonder why he's down and out I wonder why he's not big and strong like I am. God sent you to make him that way. Do you know how? Did you have any training For you was ordained? I didn't. I didn't know how to direct myself, much less anyone else. So I'm asking you to go along today. May God give us, not laziness, but some real compassion upon that bewildered human being that is marching through the dark storm in our day of confusion. Oh, brother, it's terrible. One preacher says the kingdom of God means this. The next one that follows him says, No, it means thus. And on and on it goes. One says with all boldness the devil is a real personality. The other says, Oh, it's just a figment of the imagination or the mind. Both preachers. Same denomination. One says that Jesus Christ shall come back and walk on this earth for a thousand years. The other one says there's not a word of that soul, and I'll tell you how it is. That person sitting on that pew while we have our say, is trying to make heads and tails of what's going on in their life. And so they finally get into such a stupor that they go to church and let us have have, have our say to go home unmoved. Now, most of that we bring upon ourselves, in my humble opinion. But the true charge that leads to unity says speak the same thing. I I know that's to a church, but I ask you, how can a church do that when the preachers don't lead them to it? And is guilty of, of not doing that themselves. Now, to every preacher that says, I just don't believe that can be done, is generally a man that don't want it to be done. He wants to have his freedom. And what they say to have their own personality, that Jen is a person that does his own reading, unwilling to go to Bible studies, to sit down together and let some man that we have confidence in try to teach us something and see if we can prove him wrong out of the scripture. We all know so much that we don't need Bible studies anymore. But we'd be willing to go to the Bible study if we could be the teacher. What a tragedy that is. But nevertheless, I'm fearful that it prevails. And then there's other types of, 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 of preachers coming together for study. They say, let's don't prepare anything before we get there. Let's just talk after we get there. And that's all it ever is. It's a bunch of jumbled up talk that blows your brain, cell if you had one, before you leave. And you leave there more bewildered than you was before you left home. And the only thing you get out of it is a gut full of food. That's, that's, kind of a, that's, a, that's a raw statement, but that's really the truth. And what we call fellowship, which is only on the surface. Because generally if you do something that those fellows don't like, they etch you off on the spot. And there's no fellowship in that. I've got to come to Grace Chapel to prove that I'm in fellowship with Brother Guest. Our fellowship is on a flimsy basis. But if he can trust me, and I can trust him, we're in fellowship, I don't care if he's in Memphis and I'm in Asia Minor. But if you've got to pet a man and buy fellowship, there is nothing to that. The United States now for, for at least 30 years or longer has been trying to buy the fellowship of other nations and it's almost broke our government. And the people that we tried to buy off hates us just as much as they did before we ever give them all the millions that they thought they needed. If church fellowship. And Christian fellowship is going to be based on our neck-hugging in the house of God. That's flimsy territory to base it on. The word confused, C-O-N-F-U-S-E, I want to define that word now. And as we go along, I want to show you the horror of this word. And I believe it's the devil's workshop. Confused, defined. The first definition means to combine without order or clearness. When I relate that to preaching, I relate that to shotgun preaching that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation within an hour and connects one not one single thought together. That is confusion. Means to jumble, render indistinct, throw into disorder, to perplex or bewilder. This can be connected with bodily exercise, perspiration, loud speak, and long sermon. Uh. I've been guilty in too much of my ministry. That's why I have to suffer with this throat trouble that I now have. It's, it's related, no doubt, to my perspiration and my loud speech and my long sermons with such little judgment to believe that the people could keep up or understand of what I was trying to say. And about the only one that got real joy out of that was the devil. Because about all of that done is add a little bit more confusion to the assembly of God. Here recently there was a person called me. I've been going to church all of my life. It's now an old person. Call me up and say, Brother Wallace said, we're, we're discussing something here in my house. Can you tell me where it's in the Bible about Jacob and Esau? Now the only reason that that good saint, Evan Bound, had to ask me that is because that ministers, through the years, did not stress and require and show the necessity of at least learning worthy was a few things to be found in God's Word and require that they stash that away in their memory. I wasn't required to do that in my church life. In fact, I wasn't required to do anything. Shotgun preaching comes from our lack of study, resulting in ignorance of God's Word. The other from a lack of concern for spiritual maturity in the believer. So I'm telling all of us preachers today, as long as we are more interested in our eloquence and our loud speech and how much we know in preference to the maturity uh, of spiritual maturity in the believer, we again are carrying the ship into the dark storm of confusion. I believe that the most, the uttermost thing that should dwell in the endeavors of a minister is to strive to bring his hearers. To a place at least where they could see and understand and be willing to grow towards spiritual maturity. And without that, all that they can ever be is born again dwarfs to hinder his journey in the ascendant. That's all they can ever be. I remember when I seen the great need of making some change in my ministry, and I began to make some requirements and show people the need to be baptized and to learn, over and over again it's been told me after that, that the way that people felt in that, that it's none of your business whether we're baptized or not, for well, the only reason that anyone could ever reach that conclusion, It's because that preachers, as they grew up, left them in total ignorance of things important, while they prophesied with their loud sermons, long sermons, and loud voices repeating over and over again the sermons of sovereign grace, which is the most wonderful thing on earth. But there's more than that to it. And if that's all that child of God ever knows, it has a tendency to make a person born again living as a little dwarf in the kingdom of God unable to cope with confusion that the devil brings upon their life. Now the end results of this first word here, which is the devil's workshop, To confuse is to produce a general bewilderment through disturbing one's mind, therefore making it difficult for one to collect their thoughts, therefore bringing to ruin our desperation. Let's look at Acts 19.32 now to illustrate that thought. Acts 19.32, and here's what it says. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. Now listen to the last part of that. And the more or the bigger part, you not whether they were come together. Listen, brethren, you can accept this or reject it, but the majority... Of people that attends church knows not why they come together. It's just kind of a moral responsibility. You reckon who brought that on? I want to, I want to find now the word confusion. It's just to step up the ladder of the devil's workshop. The first definition for the word confused is the act of confusion. This is connected with two or more preachers. Explain away what the other what the other thought from the same passage of scripture. The second definition is a state of being confused. This has to do with an assembly. Which through the years has heard many different things from the one text until they now assemble to be entertained, believing the preachers are more confused than they. This is a soul piercing thought. Yet we are compelled to acknowledge the fact that the people are confused in many assemblies about biblical subjects. Now, if you confess that to be so, you tell me why it has to be when God has been calling his spokesman generation after generation to tell his people what that scripture meant. You'll think about that. Can you remember back some of you younger men don't remember this. But in my growing up and I used to attend a lot of associations and a man just wasn't getting a job a job done. You know one man had preach. Well then the next one followed him if he couldn't point out some error and the man that went before him just wasn't doing no good. But in those times, I never heard one preacher preach or pray one prayer that asked God to convict, convert, or bring to repentance one soul during those three days. We didn't get any either. You know what I generally heard after that? Of what the discussion was, who preached the best and who preached the worst. Brethren, so-and-so set the woods afire, didn't he? So-and-so I thought was in the dark. But you know why that little confused child of God said that? Because he lived in that environment from the time he began attending the assembly until that day he was talking. His environment. Who said that? Any man to think the environment does not rub off on that child of God differs from my opinion. Now, these things we may not be in today, but what I'm talking about today Us preachers that's made it now together for ten years, we must keep making it. We must learn to require something out of the men that we permit the assembly to ordain. We must set unblemished records before them as much as humanly possible. We must learn how to set objectives for the assembly whereby we might reach further conclusions is who means business and who don't. But can you imagine a man in that kind of business that I've already read without the knowledge to direct it? Oh, brethren, tragedy of tragedies. The end results of the confusion. Now, I want to read that. Here's the end results of it. And I just want you to think about it in your mind now. As I read along, what your experiences have been. Have any of you ever been in a conference? Listen to this now. Where everybody's mind went all to pieces. And bitter words began to be spoken. And young young people sitting there to hear that. But just before the, but just before last Sunday, as a week ago, The preacher preached on Christian love. And while he was preaching, great tears flowed down his cheeks. And in the handshake, people embraced him with great emotionalism. But a week has passed now, and the conference is here. That child of God, the little fellow that don't know what it's all about, has been in both services. But he sees all together a different picture a week from now than he did in the assembly. Now somebody's got to take the blame for that. You can mark that down. And God's keeping the record. And the preacher's going to answer more foremost for that. And every brother spoke out a term as an account to give to God. Oh, but that little child of God there that's, that's in the storm, he don't know. Innocent. And then I wonder why he's not growing. I wonder why he won't come into church. And then we can, then we condemn people for being on the outside. And there's no, no scripture saying he should be out there. But there is some hindrances that will keep him out there whether he's justified or not. And that hindrance is going to come through human beings. And the one that caused the hindrance must answer to God. So you just listen to these words now as I read. The end result of the devil's workshop. Confusion results in disorder perplexity, bewilderment, therefore a disturbed mental state of mind, resulting at times in extreme disturbance. Acts 19.29 to illustrate that. Acts 19.29 and here's what it says. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having called Gaius and Aristocus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. That's the end of that verse. This makes one think. This makes one think. of the bitter words that brethren throw at one another in the meeting house while in a state of confusion over the master's business. You say, well, brother, why is that just has to come here once in a while? Well, if it does, you reconcile that with First 1 Corinthians 1.10. Then, if you reach the conclusion that First 1 Corinthians one ten says it don't have to be, and yet it is, then I have to lay the cause at somebody's feet. And while that's developing, these little tender hearts around there observing that, but the thing that we get most interested in. It's a seeing our point carried. Brother Green sitting there hopes to be an ordained elder someday, he told me. And his third problem will be the people that he leads. But before he ever gets there, it'll be his self. And on top of that all is the devil to promote it all that has to do with confusion. And if he thinks today that he will not encounter what I'm saying, he will end up to see that Brother Wallace was right in his little feeble talk at Grace Chapel. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.